to Romans chapter 12 this morning. This is a, a new section in the book of Romans. We've seen in the past, in the first 11 chapters, indeed in the first 8 chapters, Paul lays out how sinful men are. And then of course that glorious chapter at, in chapter 8, at the start of chapter 8, where he says, for Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And after chapter 8, between 9 and 11, we have these three chapters that basically Paul talks to the Hebrews in this church at Rome. A mixed church where there are Hebrews and there are Gentiles. There are some people that Paul knows in this church and there are others that he has no idea who they are. There are some who have, uh, whom Paul has actually physically met on his travels, but there are many within this church in Rome who, who don't really know who Paul is. And he writes this letter to them, laying out his, his, his plan or his, his teaching on, on salvation so that they might have a better idea as to what true and proper doctrine is. But we noticed over these last 11 chapters that there's been a, a place where Paul has sort of divided his loyalties between the Gentile church and, and the Jewish part of the church. And there are obviously some frictions between them because the Hebrews that were in the church probably thought they were a wee bit better than everybody else because they were Jews and and this saviour was a Jew, etc. And Paul has tried to put that to rest. And now at the start of chapter 12, he comes to a point where he has to talk to the church as a whole, whether they're Hebrew or whether they're, they're Gentile in, in their former life. He has to speak to them as a whole and teach them about how they should behave towards one another. Because the whole tenor of the chapter is that there are some issues that are coming up between the Hebrews and the Gentiles, that there are there are cliques forming within the church, and Paul wants to put an end to that. It's almost as if again we spoke about it that Paul has put his pen down when, in the days when it was only snail mail and you were writing a letter. You know, you would maybe write a few pages and then you would put it past for a few days. Then you would pick up your pen again and start writing. And many's a letter I've received that have been written in black and blue and red and all the rest of it because that's the only pen they could find at the time. And uh, Paul seems to be in that situation that. After chapter 11, he has, he has, when he has definitely said that God is not finished with the Jewish nation, he sort of puts his pen down and, and, and comes back to it maybe two or three days later. And we find that he begins again at the start of chapter 12 by stating our place in Christ. He always lays out the sort of doctrinal part of things before he actually goes to the practicalities of things. And you know, we get to that stage often within spiritual matters, that, you know, when we've got people telling us what to do and, and, and you need to talk to so and so and you know, it almost becomes a legalistic guilt trip that you're put on because things are not quite working out in your life, which really in some measure is foreign to Christianity. There's an openness and a freedom that we should have in Christ. And a lot of what we need needs to be accomplished in prayer. 
There is no other answer. That's our communication with God. His communication with us is through his word and, and sometimes through that rima word that comes to us. But in the main he will speak to us through the Bible. We have to speak to him in that prayer place, that place where we can gather together and, and put our problems and our supplications before him. It's not about our responsibility to respond to all these things that people tell us to do. It's just, it's just to respond to Christ in our lives. It's just to recognise the realness, the reality that Christ is alive and living in us through his Holy Spirit. That is a lot of what we fail to grasp. We tend to think that, you know, we have to do this and we have to do that and we have to do the next thing. And there's nothing wrong with these things. I mean, there's nothing wrong with coming to church and there's nothing wrong with reading your Bible. And there's nothing wrong with prayer. But it doesn't get you brownie points with God. It doesn't get you to that intimate place. It maybe helps, but we've really got to allow ourselves to reach out and to allow God to touch us in these places where sometimes we hurt. The work is done. Jesus himself said that on the cross. We don't need to strive anymore to accomplish something that's already complete. It's like building a house. You get in the house, the house is brand new, and you think, well, I'll just, I, I need to go and paint the walls. No, you don't need to paint the walls. The walls are painted. I'll, I'll go and put up the electrical fittings. No, you don't need to put up the electrical fittings. They're already done. The, 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 the work is finished. All you have to do is, is live in it and walk in it and enjoy it. In Christ Jesus, he has made us righteous. That's what Paul's been, he's been banging on about it for the last 11 chapters. And righteousness really means that God looks upon us as if we had never sinned. So holy are we before the Lord in a spiritual sense that God looks upon us as if we had never sinned because God cannot look upon sin. So therefore if he looks upon us he, he can't see the sin. The sin's not there. It's gone. It's dealt with. And because if we get to that understanding, that intimacy, then out of the love that we have for, the, for Christ and out of the love that we have for our brothers and sisters, we will serve him and we will do the things that he wants us to do. We're on this, you know, I was thinking about it this week when I was, I was looking through the papers that, you know, this time of the year there's all these cruises being advertised, you know, this cruise to there and that cruise to there and blah, 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 and I thought... You can't hide debt, you know, this is a, it's just, but we're on this ship of salvation. That was what I was thinking today, or this week. You know, there, there might be squabbles down in the deck, tennis desk, about who's, who's won this and who's won that, and, and there might be a wee bit of ructions in the, in the galley as to who's ordering what food and who's to sit where and who's to eat with who. You know, there always will be problems within fellowships. But this ship is cruising. This ship has a destination. And if you're on it, you're going to heaven. It might not be an easy sail at times. You might not go on with the crew or some of your passengers at the best of times. But this ship is sailing and we're heading for heaven. And Jesus told us that 
when he spoke to his disciples, when they were all concerned in, the, in John's gospel, he said, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to be with me, and so you will be with me forever. So do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This ship is sailing, and we're going. You know, and that's when we realize that, when we realize what the goal is, that should be the stimulus for us to serve the Lord. Not out of any intention of getting prizes or brownie points. We could never repay God for what he's done for us. It's just out of love. Those first 11 chapters dealt with the, just the depravity of mankind. I mean, I always say that if you can get past the first seven chapters in Romans without cutting your throat, you're doing well. Because really, Paul just lays it out as it is. as just a naked expose as to how depraved and how desperate man's condition is. Man's condition is ruined and in terrible need of a saviour. And yet, people are just blinded to it. Most of the people that we know who are no saved... They always talk about it. They're held in a stronghold. They don't realise they're in prison, but they're in prison. They just don't know how to break out of it. And it's up to us to help them to break out of it. The, 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 the desperate condition of man... You know, I was thinking this week about all these personalities that have been arrested for sexual abuse and sexual harassment of people. You think, these are the people that were honoured. These are the people that men honour. And I found this story, it was about 10 years ago, or maybe more than 10 years ago in, uh, in America. They had, the, the, the soldiers were coming back from the Iraq war, and uh, they had got this picture of an American sergeant who had caught his daughter in her ar- his arms, and he had a, you know, the two of them were embracing each other, just on their return, and his return from Afghanistan, and this great, this great outpouring the love and joy between them and a sculptor had got a hold of this picture and he had sculpted it and he had sculpted it so well you, you could actually recognise the people in it I mean it was just it was, it was a beautiful just sculpture of this soldier embracing his daughter and it was so well done and, and so evocative. I mean, people were, people were shedding tears when they looked at it because of the, you know, this patriotic thing and, you know, this is America and land of the free, home of the brave and all the rest of it. And they actually put this statue up outside the Pentagon. That's the main sort of military building in, in America. And then, about four or five years later, the statue suddenly disappeared. Because that sergeant had been sent to jail for five years for abusing the daughter that he was embracing in the statue. They brought the statue back, but they kind of changed the faces so that it was a kind of generic face. But people could recognize in that statue who this man was. And these were the people. This is what man does. We revere people. Instead of revering the Lord, we look to people for our answers. You know, we stand there and they, and they, they play God Save the Queen or God Bless America or whatever it is and everybody sheds a tear and we've got all this patriotism. 
we shouldn't be shedding tears for that. Shed tears for the souls that are lost and are going to hell. You know, we talk about this, there's this great debate going on about the, about the, the referendum coming up in Scotland. Do you know, see, to be quite honest, who cares? I'd rather see Scotland saved than Scotland in the Union or Scotland separate. I'm really not that bothered. But if men get saved, that's my target in life. And that should be our target in life. You know, don't worship men or look to men for your answers. I mean, don't look to me as your pastor because I'll tell you this, sometime at some way, I'll let you down. I will let you down because I'm only a man. It's got to be all about Jesus. It's got to be you and your relationship. That, that precious, unique relationship. Just as God made you uniquely, so his relationship with you is unique. And this is what Paul says at the start of Romans chapter 12. He says, therefore, and this is out the the NIV. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And every time you see the word therefore, you've got to ask yourself, what's it there for? You know, and really, Paul is saying, in view of, or therefore, in view of all that I've said to you in these first 11 chapters now, he wouldn't mean it as the first 11 chapters because as I've said to you already we as men put in the chapter margins and the verse numbers just for the sake of reference so that we could find it. This was one continuous letter that Paul would write. So he urges them after he's written all that was contained in those 315 verses, those first 11 chapters he says offer yourselves as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy when you truly understand what God has done for you and what he wants to continue to do for you to bring you to a place of deprivation and, and, and horribleness to bring you to that place of righteousness and salvation you know and I thought about it this week sacrifice sacrifice in itself indicates death there's not, you know, the first, the very first, if you look up the Oxford English Dictionary, the very first meaning for sacrifice, it says, an act of slaughtering an animal or a person or surrendering a possession as an offering to a deity. We have to be a living sacrifice. The two of them, I mean, it's almost an oxymoron to put living and sacrifice together there because they just don't belong together. A sacrifice, as the Jews would be concerned, they would always think about something that would be killed, whether it was a pair of pigeons or whether it was a a lamb that was to be slaughtered or, or, or a young goat or whatever. But here, Paul says, if you're going to live for Christ, you have to be a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, that's your true and proper worship. It's not just about singing songs. It's not just about reading your Bible. It's about offering yourself to the Lord in that spiritual sense. And only, only, only you and I, in an individual way, can do that. Only you and I know where we stand in a relationship to Jesus Christ. It's not about singing songs, although that's part of it. It's about dying to yourself and to all its ambitions. 
all the ambitions and all the things and I'm robbing in the band sing songs you know all my ambitions hopes and plans I surrender into your mighty hand or words to that effect and that really is what it's all about and I, I you know I, I can't I can't make you do this but this is what you're asked to do this is your true and proper worship to offer yourselves to God on a daily basis to put yourself on the altar and say Lord today again I am yours what do you want to do with me today dying to the old self dying to the one who used to be and becoming the new person in Christ Paul said it if anyone be in Christ Jesus is a new creation behold the old things have passed away and all things have become new so what does it mean this loving sacrifice in verse 2 to be this loving sacrifice it says do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will that word transform there is the Greek word metamorpho we get it from meta, we take metamorphosis from it and in some measure metamorphosis is not just a change it's a change beyond recognition that the thing that goes from one to the other becomes totally different for the thing that it started with the obvious one is the caterpillar and the butterfly there's a metamorphosis takes place this caterpillar greedy little thing that it is all it does is eat it just feeds itself and then it hangs itself up under a windowsill or and inside your shed and it changes the whole inside of it I mean even the best evolutionists in the world even the guys that would decry creation as being the worst thing in the world they can't figure it out this whole caterpillar turns into a soup it just totally disintegrates inside this cocoon and then it re-establishes itself and what comes out? A butterfly. Not a caterpillar. Something that is totally different. If you didn't know what was happening, you would look at the caterpillar and say, well that's a caterpillar and that's a butterfly and never the twain shall meet. And yet God in his infinite wisdom, the metamorphosis that takes place, and that's the word that's been used here. That we should be changed into the likeness of Christ to such a point that people can't recognize who we are anymore. That the old Jim Tatton is gone and that the new Jim Tatton has come. What has happened to him? He's metamorphosized into something different. And that's exactly what we should do. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Anybody that's ever worked in engineering knows what it is to be, to be molded in a pattern. The, the, the joiners will make up patterns and then they stick it in the sand and then they pour the hot metal in and, and, and an object is made subject to the pattern and you can make mean we used to cheat when I worked with Anderson boys and, and if you wanted a new putter you know this is before I was saved by the way <coughs> if you if you fancied the look of somebody's golf putter he said well give me a loan it and, and you made a mould in the sand and, and you cast them and, and you get them all cleaned up so you had a brand new putter for, for nothing basically because always when the thing was when the process was finished the casting process there was always a little bit left over you know and, 
And, uh, but, but that's what it is to be conformed. Being transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, there's only two places that this word metamorphosis or metamorpho is used in the Bible, in, this, well, in the New Testament. One was to describe Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was changed, when he was metamorphosized into this glorious being, this glowing character that stood beside Moses and, and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was metamorphosized. And he gave Peter and James and John that glimpse of what heaven's like, that this glorious, wonderful Jesus is going to rule over. And in some measure, when we look at Moses and Elijah, we see us because they were no better than us. They're just created beings the same as we are. The only other place that's mentioned is here. Transformed. Sorry, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the verse that I just quoted here. And then here, sorry. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I was getting a bit confused there. That was 2 Corinthians 3.18. That's the only other place. That and Matthew 17 are the only two places where this word metamorpho is used. That we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being metamorpho into his image with ever increasing glory. When I looked at this scripture this week, I thought, we're either a conformer or we're a transformer. And I don't mean they big robots that fly in the sky. A conformer looks to put themselves in a place where they're acceptable to the world. They want always to be pushed into that pattern. Or they're always trying to push themselves into the pattern of the world. It may not be a very particularly comfortable place. But if they're acceptable to the world then that's what they want to be. And the mantra always seems to be, I wish I had. I wish I had a car like him. I wish I had a house like her. I wish I had clothes like so-and-so. I wish I had money like so-and-so. And that's being conformed to the things of the world. You don't feel accepted unless you have these certain things. That, And that's what Paul is, is talking about here. Don't, don't be conformed. And there seems to have been this issue in the church at Rome that people were becoming a bit cliquish in the sense that, well, we're not talking to that lot because they don't have enough money or they don't have the best chariots or whatever it is and all the rest of it. Even in churches, even in churches, I hate to say it, they try and manipulate their doctrine to keep up with current fads. You know, we want to be acceptable. How, how can we expect people to, be, to come into the churches if we're not relevant today? That's the mantra. How, how, do we, how do we make it so that people feel as if we're relevant? Well, well, let's agree with homosexual marriage. Let's agree with putting homosexuals in the pulpit. Let, let's agree with the humanist society and, and, and stop the religious assemblies and we'll just make it a time for reflection. Let, let's just deny that Israel ever existed and that they're all the bad guys. And you know, by the time, and, and I look at this from the point of view of our own national church at the moment, they've been debating these things for years. And by the time they get round to actually sorting themselves out, the world's moved on. They're on to something else. 
and the churches always try to catch up because they're trying to conform themselves to the things of this world instead of being transformed we need to stick to what we know we know that Jesus loves us and Jesus died for us and that through his sacrifice men can be brought into that place of metamorphosis the transformer looks at the world and says I don't need any of that I have everything in Christ the kingdoms of the world mean nothing to me I have Christ and I belong to a kingdom that's not of this world and that comes through that ability to receive from Christ that real relationship the reality of your relationship the other way I was thinking about it I was I was being very optimistic this week I was putting up a thermometer on the outside of my shed so that I could see how warm the summer was going to get and you know I was thinking conformers and transformers the other way to look at it is we can either be a thermometer or a thermostat one reacts and the other brings control without Christ we can do nothing in Christ we can do all things when we think about a thermometer thermometers all over the place up and down depending on how warm the day is and that's, the, that's trying to conform to the things of the world we're trying to take the, take the temperature all the time and well, well where do we stand in this and should we change our policy in that should we go this way should we go that way and it's a never ending it's a never ending story but when you're a thermostat you're in control you're the boy that says this will be the temperature this is the environment we want to live in and nobody can change that when you step into your workplace and you know that loving, loving relationship with Christ you become the thermostat everybody else is the thermometers they're cool when you're hot they're hot when you're cool and all the rest of it. it's just madness but you can be that controlling influence you can be that person that says you know irrespective of what's going on I know God's in control because I have a relationship with him that's beyond anything that man could ever bring without Christ we can do nothing in Christ we can do all things that's what Paul told us I don't know whether you ever thought about it you know I never brought it along this morning but I was thinking I heard a guy talking about this in India and it really struck a chord with me he brought out a piece of thread and he showed me the thread and he said do you know what this is I says aye it's about a thread he says that's you I said really is that me uh-huh. and can you all see the thread by the way because this is a parable sometimes you can't see a parable you know it's a, it's a hidden story with an earthly meaning you know and then he brought out a needle and he said do you know who this is I said I haven't a clue who's that that's Jesus Jesus is a needle and you're the thread without him you can do nothing but he was pierced for you you put yourself in Christ and he can guide and direct you and stitch up relationships and make things right and put things together again without his strength there's no way how can you ever sew two things together with a piece of thread you take it for granted that you've got a needle but we've not always got a needle only those who are in Christ Jesus he's the needle and he was pierced for us the hole is in him 
in his hands and his feet that we can slot through that hole and be led wherever he goes. We go. Even although we're only a thread. He'll take us everywhere. He goes. We go. And, and, and the good thing is that he always goes first. He never leads us where he's never been before. When we surrender in love, Paul says we know the good and perfect will of God. It's not about ritual, but it's about intimacy. It's about that strong bond that's between you and Christ. And only you know how strong that bond is. How do you train your mind? How, you know, Paul says, don't be conformed to the things of the world, be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. So how do we train our mind? How do we get our mind from the place where it wants to be conformed to the world all the time back to that place where we want to be metamorphosized into the very image of Christ as we grow in his, his image? We do it, and I've said this before, we do it by hearing the word of God because in the word of God is the living word of God, Jesus. Now, we do it by hearing the word, not by reading the bits in the page. Reading the letters in the page is different from hearing the word of God. Yes, you have to read the letters in the page, of course you do. But it can be as dry as a stick if you're not in that right place. If that intimate relationship with Christ isn't there, then you might as well read Baba Black Sheep because it's going to make as much sense to you. It needs that intimacy. It needs, Lord, as as I look at this page, show me Jesus in this page. Show me Jesus in the way that I'm reading this. Show me who you are. Show me who's the needle and who's the thread. Show me who's the thermometer and who's the thermostat. Show me who's the conformer and who's the transformer. And that is what it's all about. But looking for Jesus, he's in the Word because he is the Word. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and he was with God in the beginning. He's the living, breathing Word of God. You know, I've often looked at people over the past who have been very, very strong scripturally. They've known scripture back to front. They've known, you know, every verse. In fact, I've even conversed with people that have really intimidated me with it because when I put forward a particular opinion, they'll come back and say, but Romans thing me says that and First Corinthians says that and Jeremiah and they fire verses at you one after another and you think, whoa, this is a landslide. You know, when I thought about that, I thought, you know, knowledge alone doesn't do anything for you. It turns you into what I call a spiritual porcupine. You're a bit prickly. You might have many points to make, but you're very hard to get close to. So when we're reading and studying, looking for Christ and everything, fill your mind with him and be transformed. If you fill it with junk, you'll be conformed to the world. If you fill it with Christ, you'll be metamorphosized into this this new creation 
that Christ wants for you. Are we caterpillars or are we butterflies? And as I've said before, the butterfly looks nothing like the caterpillar. And yet God knows it. You know, that it always amazes me. You line up three or four different caterpillars and they pretty well look the same. And you think, I wonder what kind of butterfly or moth that is. And, but God knows it. He knows exactly what he can turn you into. And we need to look to each other. I can't put this strongly enough to you. You know, this quest for knowledge all the time, this people even within the church who, who are their great goal, they think that they're great and wonderful and spiritual Christians because of the garner of this knowledge. Imagine a man sitting at his breakfast in the morning and he's reading through the paper and his wife sitting opposite him and all she can see is the back of the paper and all she wants to do is talk to him. But he's too busy. He's too busy pulling in all this information. All this dry information. And all she wants is this intimate communication. She just wants to talk to him. She doesn't want to know what's in the paper. She doesn't want to know what's in his head. She, doesn't want, she just wants this intimate communication with him. And how many marriages fail because they fail because there's no intimate communication. It all falls apart. We all go our own way. We need to be people who want to intimately communicate, not only with Jesus, with each other. That's what brothers and sisters are for. And we need to be able to do that in absolute and complete confidentiality. That what people tell you is between you and them and the Lord. When you show that integrity, when you show that metamorphosis in your life, people will come to you and ask you for prayer because they know, they know that there's a change in you. And hopefully, as they see the change in you, that the metamorphosis will take place in them as well. Read the word. Look for Jesus. Touch the Lord as you hear the word of God fill in your soul. And read it out loud to yourself. I know it sounds crazy or starkers and crazy, but read it out loud. You won't miss out any of the words. I've said to you before, I'm a speed reader. I'll take a document and read every second line and think I've got it. I know what's going on. Because I've internalised it. But when you read things out loud, you have to read every word. Otherwise it doesn't make sense. When, that, when you read the word or somebody reads it to you, great thing for husbands and wives, for fiancés, and, and to, to read, just read the word to each other. Just read it. I mean, when I was in India, they, they couldn't read. They couldn't write. So you just read it to them. Or you just acted out the story that was in the Bible. You spoke to them. It was a, it was a verbal communication. And, and in some measure, that's what Paul's telling us. That's what we should be doing. Touch the Lord. Many of the churches who pride themselves in, in knowing the word, they've turned the Trinity, which should be Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and they've turned it into Father, Son and Holy Bible. There's no room for the Spirit, no room for God to move. It's all knowledge, and there's no Spirit. And that's what we need to move into. I don't think I'm going to get much further than this today, but... 
Let's just read this next verse. Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So Paul says, no matter how good you are at teaching, no matter how good you are at whatever it is you do, it's all through grace. It's all through undeserved favour. If God is blessing you and your service for him, it's for his glory. We can't go around thinking, how good are we? Look what God's doing with me. I must be a really good guy. Look what God's doing with me. When we think of what God has done for us already, we've got no room to boast. The gifts, the gifting that God gives us, and he gifts us all in some measure or somewhere or another. There's too many today who won't come and speak at a meeting. Or they won't come with their band and play unless they've got thousands of dollars up front to do it. You apply to some of these bands that you would love to bring over here and, and maybe do an outreach and they tell you, well, um, it's, it's a minimum of $5,000 before we even come. Or we need... I've got no objection to paying ministers' expenses and, and, and to making sure that they get a living. The, 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 the labourers are worth their wages. But that has to be accomplished by faith. That has to be accomplished through that relationship. If you don't want to come and, and, and speak at our church or, or play your band at our church, then just tell us we don't want to come. Don't tell us that we'll come, but you need to put $5,000 on the table first. I'm not interested. If you want to come, come and take whatever God gives you. That, that to me, would be it. But, you know, th this is where we get to the stage where people think that because they've got such a good ministry and they've got such a great blessing from God that somehow that they're doing something better than everybody else. You know, the people that make the tea in the church might be in heaven before them. And, and I don't say that lightly. Where God guides, God will provide. And I know it's an old saying. I know it's, it's kind of cheesy. But that is the, the, the point of it. And I think in some measure that's what Paul was trying to get the point across here. That there were people in the church at Rome that obviously were very gifted in what they did. But they thought they were better than everybody else. You know, I'll never be the best teacher in the world. And you'll never be the best congregation in the world. But we've got each other. And this is where God has put us. And so we move on from there and accept it. And we hope that God will slowly but surely change us. Change us metamorphosizes into something that's close to him and then that final day when he comes back to be with us in an instant will be changed into his very likeness the metamorphosis will be complete we will be like Christ and we will be with him forever let's pray Father we just thank you and praise you for your word Lord we thank you that you are from everlasting to everlasting Lord help us to resist that temptation to be conformed to the world Lord to look to the world and, and the things of the world to, to, to make a sure success in our lives Lord you are our success Lord you are the one who has promised us eternal life Lord and we cling to that help us to be in that intimacy of relationship with you Father no matter what comes along Lord no matter what troubles this world throws at us Lord this is only for a short time soon we will be with you and we will be with you forever 
So Lord be with us. Encourage our hearts this morning. To love each other Lord. To help each other to, to change from glory into glory Lord. As your word tells us. To help us to be a people that, that when other people look at us they say I can't believe it's you. That we've changed so much. So Father help us. Bless us and keep us this day. For without you, without the needle, this little bit of thread can do nothing. So be with us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for